Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, with a special post-debate reaction podcast with a good friend, Daniel Halper, of the Weekly Standard. And Daniel, obviously, the question everyone wants to know the answer to is, who was tonight's winner? And you can name anyone you want as long as it's Carly Fiorina. Otherwise, I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> right. Isn't it obvious to anybody who watched Carly Fiorina clearly, clearly ran away with this thing? You know, I think... You know, this is now our second debate. In the first debate, I think we didn't quite get the results of it until a week, two weeks after, when we realized that Scott Walker really was beginning to plummet. Then Carson was beginning to surge. Marco Rubio and many of the others sort of stayed the same. They did well, but they didn't quite do well enough. So it's always hard to evaluate how these affect the polls. But for anybody who watched, obviously, Carlos Fiorina. She isn't known, as she's uh, you know, pointed out many times, she's not well-known to a lot of the Republican uh, electorate, but she really made herself known tonight. She did very well. She's very well-spoken, incredibly articulate, and, and just schooled the other politicians on on the stage. Yeah, you're watching her, and to hear the pieces that I thought were fascinating, that she presented in one night, number one, she has at least as good a command of the facts as anyone. You know, the, the Hillary Clinton argument is, well, she knows everything. She's done all her homework. Hillary's the student with the apple and the straight A's. Well, Carly's right next to her, you know, with the <laughs> apples and the A's, too. So that's important. Then she also has this uh, uh, ability to connect with the fact that she started her career at HP as a secretary. And I didn't know this about uh, Carla Fiorina. She uh, and her husband lost a child to drug addiction. And that added a real, just out of kind of nowhere, this oomph when they were talking about that issue of legalizing drugs and drugs, et cetera. And then the other thing, and I think this is really key, Daniel, every time she could, she turned every question into, and this is why Hillary Clinton is a lying, evil you know, person who must be stopped. And I think the Republican base really wants to see a fighter, and she fights. It's funny because CNN, was, who hosted the debate, was really, really struggling to make this the Donald Trump show. And for much of the, at least the first part of the debate, it was all about, well, Donald Trump said this. I want you to respond to this, this statement of Donald Trump's. They really wanted to see a lot of action on Donald Trump. Fiorina, I thought, did the best of moving that away from Donald Trump. She responded, and she responded very effectively. I think probably drew a little bit of blood in certain at certain times with Donald Trump. But she really, and you're right, she really effectively made the case against Hillary Clinton. Because, again, Republican voters, I think most of them, would probably be okay with a lot of the people on the stage tonight. But they wouldn't be okay with Hillary Clinton. And really targeting somebody that they're not okay with, I think, is very effective. I'm sort of surprised that other candidates aren't able to do it as effectively. Uh, you saw Chris Christie do it a little bit. He also, by the way, had a pretty good night. Yes. Marco Rubio was probably in the second place. I thought he, he did decently well. I don't think he'll get much of a jump from it. Uh, but I think it will be sort of enough to make him, you know, sort of continue to be relevant, continue to give a lot of, uh, you know, make him a top-tier candidate. Uh, but a lot of the other candidates, I thought, didn't do as well. Not too many people really blew up tonight. Well, uh, so let's let's not, that, before, that, we leave, before we leave Carly, one more question. The, the One of the things that I enjoyed was the fact that she got challenged on some stuff, the tough questions about Hewlett-Packard and what happened there. And it's a, it's a complicated story about an overall industry that was going down and a fight with the board. And now people in the industry apparently think that, you know, her... 
approach was the right one, but at the time she lost her job over it. So you can see why it would be a stickler. It's the kind of thing that would cause Mitt Romney to freeze up like a deer in the headlights and get just plowed over by the Obama uh, campaign. Uh, Carly seemed to handle it pretty well. She handled it very well, as she has for months now. She she has a she can tell her story better than anybody. She is able to respond and say, "Look, this is what happens when you challenge the establishment." And I plan when I'm in Washington to challenge the establishment. And it might make people unhappy, but I have a clear fee forward. I can see what needs to be done, and I'll do it. And I think I think people admire that. They might not fully understand the HP story. It is, as you say, very complicated. Uh, nevertheless, I think people can see her role in it as she tells it, and they like it. And it's very appealing. I think it. Uh, I mean. She has a lot of, I think she continues to have a lot of upside. I think this debate will help her the most coming off of it. Um, but obviously, you know, I'll only hedge a little bit and say, we'll see exactly how well this plays and how many people are watching and what sort of response she would get. I, I I'm, was very impressed. Well, enough about Carly Fiorina. What did Donald Trump think about Carly Fiorina? I mean, that's really quite, at least that's how Jake Tapper would have framed the question. It was embarrassing. Uh, I think close to half of the questions from Tapper were constructed as Donald Trump said blank. So since Donald Trump was supposed to be the star of the show, uh, Daniel Halper, how were his reviews? Did he kill him in Peoria? Well, what's funny is I thought Carly did an effective job neutering Donald Trump. She came after him. She, you know, Donald Trump had made some comments about her looks and then later retracted them and said that it was really about her persona. But of course, you know, Carly effectively said, look, all women who heard that comment knew exactly what you were saying. And then she, you know, she might as well have dropped the mic and walked out <laughs> stage because he, he blushed at that moment. She drew a little blood. He looked weak and tired exactly what he had called, you know, other, some of his mm. other opponents. I thought it was very effective. And, you know, look, I, she did have a near flawless performance, as you said, the touching on, on her daughter's, um, her, the loss of her daughter to drug addiction, I thought was heartfelt and not craven and not, you know, not right. exploitive. But serious, you know, mm. this is a serious matter. I understand it from a very personal matter, and I don't want other people to go through it. There are ways to do it, and she did it, I think, mm. in the classiest way. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt right now. You have to talk about Donald Trump. It's mandatory. I've, I've been told by my media handlers, I must make Daniel Halper talk about Donald Trump. So no more putting it off by talking about what actually mattered. It's time for some irrelevant comments about Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump is sort of the hardest person to assess in this race, right? Because, uh, you know, a lot of, I, I didn't, never thought Donald Trump would enter the race. I never thought he would do well. I never thought, you know, all these things. So uh, his, his rise is surprising, of course. It's a little hard to, to quantify. I did think he did look weak on that stage. I think Donald Trump, you know, maybe I wasn't able to predict it, but obviously Donald Trump does best when, when he is himself. He's proven that along the way that that when he's just unvarnished and sort of going uh, going on riffs and tearing people apart, he's doing very well. But instead, he looked he looked kind of weak, I think. And I don't think he was able to be as persuasive and as boisterous as he had been. And I think that that may a little bit uh, hurt him 
in that he just didn't look like the person that people have been that who have been defending right. him have been uh, suggesting that he is. Well, I assume the people listening to the podcast were lucky enough to not have spent four hours and forty five minutes of their night watching debates as you and I did. So, just so that for the people who don't know, it was endless. Donald Stump Trump started off with this gratuitous attack on Rand Paul. Just, I got to know. They asked him a question. I forget what the question was now. And he just goes, "By the way, what the heck's Rand Paul doing up here?" And I just thought, how. Does he think that the Trump supporters want to see this kind of hard-fisted bully? Because it was pure bullying; it had nothing to do with anything that you know anyone had said. And then, so that was that was interesting. And then later, as you pointed out, he looked weak against Carly. He looked weak against Jeb Bush. I mean, he and Jeb were you know, fought to a draw. And, and I'll tell you, Jeb Bush did not come across as particularly manly. So uh, it, I thought overall, the persona of Donald Trump did not have a great night. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, he, he yeah, he has, there's this brand, this Donald Trump brand. He did not bring that tonight. And he had talked about sort of softening up a little bit and, and you know, taking it easy. Nobody really took him seriously, right? Everybody expected him to be himself. I guess he did deliver in that regard. And it was, it, it, I, I think, I think it hurts him. I mean, I think, I, I, look, I think the Rand Paul part, I thought it was funny and I thought it was, perhaps effective because that's sort of what he's been doing and what he's been able to help himself with. But that was it. Actually, he didn't really swing at, at his other opponents. He, you know, when when he was talking about vaccines with Ben Carson later, he sounded, he sounded like a nutcase talking, you know, about (laughs) how vaccines cause, and and he was sort of most specific and he didn't go into a lot of specificity. And when, when the grownups were talking about foreign policy, and very detailed and policy-oriented discussions, he laid back. He got most specific and most detail-oriented around this discussion of vaccines, and I thought that probably would turn off a fair number of people. Obviously, there's a certain contingent which are uh, vaxxers and, and which, you know, tend to think, you know, regardless of the science around it, tend to think that, that vaccines cause autism, and certainly he'll appeal to them, but I think that's a small contingent, and not necessarily the ones you want to be catering to as you uh, as you ramp no, up. No, no, I think I think run. Donald Trump wants to own the anti-vaxer audience without a doubt. He wants the anti-vaxer audience. He wants the CIA it's has it. implanted receivers in my teeth, and that's why we're aluminum foil. He wants those people, Daniel. Let me ask what the other people like. I just say I'm I'm not a big Jeb Bush fan, and he had, he had I think the most uneven performance of the night. He had a couple of highs when he was defending his brother. He kept us safe. That was a strong line. Uh, when he was uh, talking to uh, Donald Trump, he had a, la- a a great laugh, you know, a couple of great laugh lines. Uh, he said "I would his uh, code name should be Ever Ready because that has lots of energy, Donald. At the same time, Donald Trump insulted his wife essentially to his face, refused to apologize. And Jeb just stood there and took it. I thought, man, that is crippling in a race for president of the United States. You've got to look like a leader. And you're not even defending your wife, and she's in the audience. My wife would have stomped upon the stage and said, "Are you going to let him say that about me?" And yet Jeb just kind of shrugged and gave that bushy kind of. That's not how we do it at the tennis club. Look, and that was that. Well, it's kind of worse than that because he demanded that Donald Trump apologize right. on the stage, and of course Trump wasn't going to apologize. It was a stupid request. He that set him up up to look weak. You know, you should never ask somebody to apologize, especially. If you know they're not going to, right. if they're going to, 
that's another story. But it, it, it was ill-conceived, and you're right, it was a very uneven performance. Jeb Bush did um, have some decent moments in the debate. He also had a lot of weak moments. I thought if you're if you're one of the other candidates, like a Chris Christie or Marco Rubio, it, it probably helped that that CNN set it up so that Jeb Bush and Donald Trump would be sparring in the middle of the stage and you kind of looked like the adult in the room at the edge on the sort of the side. Mm -hmm. I thought it it played to the advantage of other candidates. I'm not sure Jeb really helped himself. And again, I'm not really sure uh, Trump helped himself either. It's interesting how little we've mentioned Ben Carson. He's number two in the polls, and a lot of people have been keeping a special eye on him. And I think one reason that I haven't mentioned him is because there's really not a lot to mention. I, I said this about the first debate performance. People afterwards were raving about it. He had he had a good close, but the almost the rest of the debate, he looked like he was sitting and he was the guy who showed up for the wrong class. You know, it's like, oh, what, wait, this is a biology? He did look like he was... Yeah, he looked like he was woken up from a couple naps there in the middle, right, to answer some questions. He has this sort of sleepy demeanor, which I think people, some people like, obviously, because it it suggests that he's confident and calm and that he's able to work under pressure, you know, just as you'd want a surgeon. You don't want a surgeon who's ecstatic and energetic and can get poked easily. Um, He's is another that I think is a little hard to assess. I I thought he he did about as well as he did in the first debate. I didn't think he did great in the first debate, Mm -hmm. but clearly it helped him. I'm not sure how much Ben Carson's upside is, except if Donald Trump begins to dwindle, maybe he picks up some Donald Trump supporters Mm -hmm. who do like that he is anti-establishment, that he's outside uh, of the mainstream, and they do sort of gravitate toward him. Except if you're looking for somebody like that, why wouldn't you go to Carly Fiorina? And this was about to say, he's not he's not anti-establishment. He's just an outsider. In other words, it's a, a kind of a coincidence of history that he's an outsider, as opposed to the people who want to beat up the Washington establishment. I'd argue that Ted Cruz is far more anti-establishment than uh, Ben Carson is, and Ted Cruz had a chance to to lay out some stuff, you know, give 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 his message and and talk to his people, but. I would say, based on what we saw tonight, that if you had to put your money on an at one of the three outsiders, so-called, I think you'd have to put your money on Carly and think that over time, the way, for example, if Ben Carson had answered one question with the specificity uh, that uh, that uh, Carla Fiorina showed, the c- clear command of the facts, I think it would have been a big deal. The fact that he didn't still shows that he seems to be kind of running on the idea of a Ben Carson, not on the I'm ready to be president today approach. I, that's how it looks to me. Yeah, I, I think he, I don't think he has lasting power. I mean, I think he, he may go up, he, he may not have reached his peak, mm-hmm. but I don't think he, he will win the elections when, pe- when people are actually going to the polls, because I don't think he can command that presence for long enough to make people comfortable in the fact that he may be the next president of the United States. I I will say uh, that I do, again, I thought Rubio had a a pretty good night, a very good night, really. I mean, I I, I don't think he he ran away with it. I don't think he he broke out, but I thought he did have some very, very good answers that we'll be seeing a lot of over the next couple of days on cable television. I thought that that will help him. Christie did pretty well for himself. Reminded a lot of people that if he had run in 2012, he might have he might have won, <laughs> but he didn't. Right. And it may be too little, too late at this moment. 
I thought the, the, the real losers of tonight, I thought John Kasich looked like a grandpa, you know, or, or some sort of crazy uncle trying to interject himself <laughs> with his sort of floppy hands and, right. and his the weird mannerisms. I don't think that helped him too much. And Rand Paul, I, I thought just, you know, he just didn't do anything. Right. Scott Walker had a couple good answers early, but not enough at all by any means to redeem himself and to come back in this race, uh, which, you know, it, it's too bad, I think. And so uh, I want to finish up with it. Well, first of all, one last question, then we'll do the, the wrap. The undercard, because there was only four people, and it was four people who are really not, no one's thinking they're suddenly going to take off, you know, with the, with excitement, Pataki, Santorum, uh, uh, Graham, and Jindal. But is you know Graham had some great lines. My wife kept, who's not very political, kept nudging me and going, "Why, why aren't we for him? Why aren't we for him?" <laughs> well, he has this whole record, uh, but he had some great lines. I am assuming, just to to get it on the record here, did you have anything from the early debate that you think will carry over either one of the guys jumping to the top tier or an issue they raise? You know, Grant, Lindsey Graham's name was evoked several times in the later debate, you know, on the issue of foreign policy, Iraq and Syria. In short, no, I don't think anybody jumps from the first debate to, to the to the next debate. To, if there even is, you know, two right. two tier debate system as we move on. But yeah, I, I think if you're not very political, or if you're, um, or, or if you're sort of a mainstream press person, I think Lindsey Graham probably impressed them. I think if you're a grassroots conservative, he probably didn't. Bobby Jindal might have impressed you a little bit, but again, probably not enough to climb out there. There was enough, I think, in, in the last debate to satisfy anybody's needs, not not to have to look for an alternate candidate coming from the first debate. George Pataki, I'm not really sure why he's in this debate. I'm not really sure what he <laughs> really thinks he can prove to himself. And obviously, Rick Santorum still believes that, well, he won 11 states last time, and he, he'll climb back and right. be in it as, as this progresses. He's, he's waiting for Herman Cain to join him, and the two of them will uh, rekindle the magic. So the last question then is, assuming that this devolves or develops into a outsider versus insider primary, which is kind of the ten, you know, tendency to, to, to do. You'll have somebody in the kind of, and I'll, I'll include, include Cruz in the you know, outsider group, you know, that one of them, Cruz, Fiorina, whatever, will evolve, and they'll be the outsider who would you put down as the two or three people based on, you know, the two performances we've seen and how the race is going, the two or three insiders, the two or three establishment people who you think will kind of come out and be vying for that last slot? Well, by the way, Cruz is somebody we haven't mentioned. I thought Cruz, um, I, I thought if you like Cruz, he did very well. Exactly. He, he didn't. He wasn't explosive, and he didn't really he didn't really go after any of his his opponents. So we probably won't see many clips of him in the days to come. But he he didn't hurt himself. He did, we watched that and thought, oh, I'm not going to support Cruz anymore. So mm-hmm. there's only upside for Cruz after after this debate. And and I think Cruz has sort of a long term strategy. You can see that in a debate like this tonight, where he doesn't mm-hmm. come guns blazing like he wants to get in the fight. You know, that's a man who thinks, I will be there for a while. I don't need to expend much energy. Let them fight it out, and I'll be one of the last men standing. And I don't think he's entirely wrong. I think Cruz will be there. I think Marco Rubio will continue to be there. I think Carly will be there. I'm not sure we're going to have a strict insider-outsider 
you know, dynamic as we've had in the last elections. We could have an outsider, outsider, insider. But I look, I think Jeb, if you're really a Jeb fan, you could probably find enough redeeming moments in that debate to satisfy you. Okay, I just want to stop uh, right there just because I, I, I'm sincere about this. I, I see no path forward. For Jeb, I know he has a gazillion dollars and he's going to spend them, but there is there is no question that people are asking about America in 2016 that the answer is Jeb Bush. And so I really I just wonder, I mean, I, I'm really thinking that there's going to come a point where Jeb's donors are going to bail to somebody that they think can meet the moment at, at kind of a visceral, emotional level, the way that, you know, Carly's certainly meeting the moment. Donald Trump, obviously, emotionally, he's meeting the moment. I, I just don't see a, a way forward. I mean, he, he, he'll have the money to stay in, but we'll, in essence, it'll kind of be like, will it matter? He'll just be one of the three or four establishment guys splitting the establishment vote. I I sort of agree with that. I mean, I, I don't, Jeb has a problem. He doesn't have many voters right. who support him. <laughs> he doesn't do very well in polls, and people who do support him aren't passionate about him. Right. That, that does hurt him. That's not effective. Uh, I agree, but I also think that if you're a Jeb supporter and you've gone through all that to write him a check, maybe you're not running to anybody else right away. I mean, you might be right. thinking, man, maybe I could have gone with Rubio earlier, but I'll, I'll just continue with Jeb for now. I don't think Rubio had that moment yet to really take away Jeb supporters right. because they had that choice before and presumably they had seen Marco Rubio, especially if they're from Florida. So I think Jeb does continue. And I think, I mean, I think the money helps you stick around. At least. Sure. It's not going to help. It's not going to mean that you win it. But I, I don't think, I think Jeb sort of lingers at about six or 8% for a while longer. Uh, he, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see really. And obviously the big, big question mark is that Donald Trump support. Does it stay? Does it go? And if it goes, does it all go to Carly or where does it go? Well, my theory is to always say that this is the peak Trump because eventually it is going to be the peak Trump. Hey, look, I was right. I predicted it. So I will yet I will predict yet again for maybe the seventh podcast. This is peak Trump and it's all downhill from here. So we'll see how that works. Well, out. It's very hard to see Donald Trump actually winning. <laughs> Oh, he Donald Trump sees it. Trust me, he sees it every single day. Dan uh, Halper, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us here uh, into the wee hours immediately after the debate. And no doubt, uh, within 24 hours, all the media coverage will prove that you and I were completely wrong. But until then, we own the sucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standards immediately after the debate, post-debate reaction with Daniel Halper. I am Michael Graham.